0: Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game-changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory-installed
1: by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com.
0: Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet,
2: sweet slumber
0: to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness.
2: More than just melatonin, these ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot
3: Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now let's get this show started.
0: Welcome back to the show, everyone. Your host, Brad Hurlbus, And today we have on Nick Martin, who we'll bring in right away. Nick's got this crazy goal of shooting a rooster on public land in every county in Iowa. So I'm super excited to talk to him about that and talk to him how we got started hunting. So welcome to the show, Nick.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brad.
0: I I mean, when I first saw your goal, I'm like, that's awesome. Like, that's so cool. And And then I noticed you had a griff right away. So I'm like heck yeah this guy's getting after it he's my type (laughs) of guy like this is someone I can get along
1: with right without ever meeting him yeah the griffs definitely make it interesting and uh they make it a blast I mean all dogs make it a blast but the griffs are awesome to hunt with I'm,
0: I'm a fan of mine I have to admit that I mean I've talked quite a bit about griffs on this show before people are well accustomed to what kind of dog I have and you're not the first gr- griff owner I've had on. I think you're maybe the third or the fourth already. So I, there might be a little pattern here. I don't know.
1: They're definitely becoming more popular by, uh, from what I've been seeing, you know, of course that's a good thing and a bad thing. Cause of course you get a few of those people out there breeding for the wrong reasons, but overall it seems like a lot of people are in it for the right reasons, but they're definitely, uh, on the upward trend. It seems like the Griffons.
0: I would agree with that statement. Um, And you're right. I mean, you have to be careful because if you look at what happened with a lab, um, there's a lot of breeders out there. Some like you wind up having non-hunting labs. I mean, I don't want to say that. I mean, even a dog that's not bred to necessarily hunt could be an amazing hunter. It's a super generalized statement I just made. But overall... When you have breeders just start breeding and not really breeding for the benefit of the breed just to put puppies on the ground it can start to dilute things and things get wonky so i understand exactly what you're saying like popularity is a good thing but it also it's like that double-edged sword
1: yep a hundred percent
0: so where did you get started with hunting Uh, I like to start my show like this every time. I think it gives great background info for everyone to kind of know how you came up. Are you a self-taught hunter? Do you take it on in your adulthood, family tradition?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up hunting uh, with my dad and my brother. We uh, would all exclusively, pretty much, do public hunting. But uh, in the '90s, you could do a lot more door knocking, and there was a lot more uh, access that way. Um, so we did hunt quite a bit of private around the the Tama area, which is kind of almost that centralish, central eastern side of Iowa. Um, so Dad pretty much got me started. The interesting thing is, I'm 34 years old and have pretty much been hunting since I was five. Um, But because we had some of these, uh, basically we would walk like drainage swales and things of that nature, fence rows, so not big chunks of CRP. There wasn't that kind of grass growing up. Um, So we would hunt these drainage swales, and even though I've hunted most of my younger life, there wasn't like a lot of like, you know, okay, strategizing on these big blocks of CRP, looking for shelter belts and different things that, you know, you hear these guys talk about in South Dakota. Now the DNR, local county conservation, pheasants forever, all sorts of groups have put in a ton of work in the last um, you know, 10 years, essentially 2010. So that'd be about 12 years ago, uh, Iowa hit rock bottom for pheasants. So regardless, mainly grew up hunting with dad and family, but as I got older um, and started doing the, kind of this public land chase of 99 counties, I've really just, at an older age, have, have started to understand grass types, habitat, how they're used together shelter belts things like that so even though i've hunted my whole life my experience and building that up um that that's just kind of come on in the last four to five years
0: sure sure that makes sense i mean you kind of started a challenge you gave yourself a goal and you're expanding your territories now because now you're talking about hunting in nine there's 99 counties obviously in iowa you just said that so there, you can. that's a lot of different terrain i mean i'm not super familiar with iowa but i know the different terrain in wisconsin and it's completely different in some spots. So I feel like, while you probably don't have the hardwoods like we do in the north, I'm sure you have a quite a vast array of terrain, though.
1: Yeah, I'm slowly learning the state. You know, I'm a lifelong Iowan, but I've spent most of my um, most of my time here on the eastern side of the state. Um, familiar with the Des Moines Ames area, some of those kind of bigger communities. But you know, you get into Northeast Iowa, Southeast Iowa. Um, way over on that west side of the state there's the lust hills area it's super um, intense terrain as far as you know you get to one county and it's flat as can be and then you get to the next county and just boom looks like a freaking mountain you know mountain in our terms of iowa right right out of the middle of the ground and it's just straight up and um so it's it's definitely presenting some challenge and also uh it's a super cool just getting getting to see all the different things that the state has because uh, you just you really don't in in any state you know i i wisconsin probably would be the same way if you started just traveling around each county you know once you kind of start putting yourself in these small communities and things like that it's super interesting just restaurants and parks and all sorts of stuff you come across you're like oh i didn't realize that was here in iowa
0: sure sure and even though it's just one state i mean there's got to be quite a bit of different cultures i mean like you got to like it's been experiencing those small local towns as you change counties and I'm sure you're more off the beaten path. You're not probably hopping through
1: big cities, so
0: it's yeah. got to be really cool to experience those little microcultures as you go around the state as well.
1: Yeah, and you definitely come through some towns where you know the school. The school has a lot of the in these smaller communities. The schools have kind of pooled together. I don't. I don't know what the right terminology is, but basically they've um, consolidated. That's what I was looking for. So they've consolidated to these newer schools. So. Um, some of these communities, I mean, you can see like the old main streets that they used to have, things like that. and They're all dilapidated. Some of them are still thriving. So it's very interesting to see, um, those kind of things as well. Just you come into one town and it's like a ghost town, but you can tell and appreciate what it was in its time. But unfortunately, um, because of the schools and a lot of stuff, jobs, things like that, it's just kind of pushed some of these people out of these communities. But yeah, definitely you never know what you're getting into. And I haven't been across a lot of the states so when I'm getting into new counties to hunt and stuff a lot of times I've just e-scouted so it's all new territory to me so um, not only am I getting new habitat I'm getting to check out some new cities new terrain stuff like that so it's it's all it's all uh super interesting and keeps me on my toes to say the least
0: sure and even I mean I don't know how far it is to get from one side of the states to another but it's far enough you're yeah. not going to run there the weekend before to go scout it before you bring your dog so like e-scouting in your own local state, it can be huge. What, what tools do you prefer? Are you an Onyx guy? Or are you a hunting scout? Isn't that one? <coughs> I mean?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, I like Onyx. I know a lot of guys talk about it, but um, one thing that I actually think is kind of underutilized or maybe I'm not utilizing Onyx to its full capability. I'm not sure I'm not an expert on the app, but um, when I go on a road trip, I like to put a lot of my targets uh, in places that I've e-scouted on Onyx into my Google Maps. Um, so Google Maps doesn't have those boundaries and things like that. So when I'm in the field, a lot of times I like to use Onyx or if I'm on the go, um, you know, I have fields A, B and C scouted, but there might be a D one kind of nearby, then I'll pull up Onyx quick. But what I like about the Google Maps feature is of course, with me doing my 99 counties times everything. So, you know, just as far as if I'm traveling halfway across the state, I don't want to be wasting time looking for fields wasting time, you know, looking for directions, things like that. So I kind of have these preset in my Google Maps, hit the one that I want to, takes me there as far as GPS goes, pull in if there's a park there, I can just click on my next one, takes me right there, and I can get get around logistically a lot easier. And then also what uh, personally, one thing I like a little more about Google is I think their satellite imagery is a little better. Sure. There's no knock on Onyx. Google is a right, multi-billion right. dollar company. Right. I can only imagine what their satellites <laughs> look like compared to Onyx. So um, I was just learning at Pheasant Festus last weekend. Um, evidently last year Onyx came out with like a 3D map tool. So they were kind of telling me to look into that uh, to see if that would be something that I would be able to utilize or like a little better. Because um, I gave my feedback about the the satellites and Google and all that. So sure. um, So that's kind of what I do, the Google and Onyx and what, the other reason I like that, Google, is when I do the e-scouting, especially upland hunting, I'm trying to look at ag fields and things like that. And sometimes, sometimes on Onyx, they just just that coloring comes back down to the imagery. It's just hard to right. tell, is that a grass field, was that a bean field, a corn field? So if I can sure. jump over to Google and kind of figure out, okay, last year this was beans, next year it should be corn, um, sure. kind of strategize that way.
0: Do you use Google Earth at all? Have you started
1: playing with Google Earth? Uh, that's a great question. I have not with hunting. I've, I'm very familiar with Google earth. Just I, when I was in college, I would get on there a lot and just kind of do like virtual globe trotting and stuff like that. Sure. So, um, that is something I should utilize. So the cool
0: thing, and I know a lot of guys use Google earth. So the roots of our podcast is is kayak fishing that's where our podcast sure. started. like this is the only hunting episode in our entire seven day a week programming right well if you want um, to talk hobies i mean i got hobies yeah. and kayaks yeah. and fit. we can do that too oh, Brad. oh wow <laughs> now, now i'm gonna make people mad now they're gonna be like you're stepping on my show no i'm just kidding it's not like that we're a big family but um a lot of the guys have started using google earth to roll back time to look at lakes when they're low to see the structure on the shoreline very smart so it might be a tool for you for your e-scouting and if i was looking to do what you're doing i think i would do i mean you can roll back time to see what fields have been planted when and maybe get a better idea of what you think might be coming up next if you if you saw this was alfalfa then beans and corn maybe it's gonna be alfalfa again. you know what i mean yep, yep. I mean, it might be a kind of a cool tool to, tool to add to your arsenal
1: no, absolutely. And of course, all that stuff is free as well, which is the great thing about the Google Earth and Google Maps. So that's something definitely I'll have to look into, Brad. Yeah, I mean, that I, when you were
0: talking about the scouting like that, and I've never mentioned that before on this show specifically, but when you're talking about trying to figure out what you an egg field might be next year, yeah. you know the hist, if you know the history,
1: that could yep. be huge. No, 100%. And, I, and I'll try to take some notes as well. Um, sometimes I may be driving through one county to get to another because I have an area that I've specifically targeted, but I'll still throw some notes on my Onyx. Like, drove past this public place this this date and year. Beans were next to it. That way, if I'm ever back, you know, in that area, I can at least have something to kind of reference and go off of. Um, sure. But yeah, jumping on that Google Earth, I'll have to, I'll definitely have to look into that. Do you know if they have an app? I've just done I- them on a desktop computer.
0: I don't know if there's an app. I've always just done it on the desktop as well. So yeah, and it's a pretty act-
1: complex system. So, I mean, I'm sure there is an app, but it probably would be a little more conducive to use on a desktop if you had that.
0: Probably. it's a good, It's a a good. good. might be just a good tool while you're sitting there trying to plan your next county.
1: And not to get too far in a rabbit hole, but just throwing this bug out there, Google also has an app that uh, you can put, put up to the sky at night on your phone, and it'll tell you what constellations you're looking at. That is pretty I- fun if you're into camping.
0: I, ha- I am a bit, we do a lot of camping. Uh, we do a lot of camping with a puppy and well, not a puppy. She's 10, but I still call her my puppy. <laughs> yep, um, yep. um, But we do a ton of camping and we have played with that before. I mean, especially when you start to get out of the noise pollution or I should not noise, but light pollution yep.
1: of a yep. city.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how much you can actually see when you get away from the city and you have an open sky on a clear night.
1: Yeah. Pretty much anytime I've given any of my nieces or nephews or, you know, anyone around the phone, you, your phone's gone the rest of the night. <laughs> They're sharing and showing everybody what, what's up in the sky. But it's great though, because
0: you're making those memories. And that's a huge part of what my show's always been about is like the traditions, like traditions and hunting, like the traditions you carry on um, and all those memories and enjoying the experience. I mean, the, the way at my outro to my show is keep chasing that experience because to, to me, it's the experience that matters more than the taking of a bird or anything like that. It's that entire experience, which is what makes enjoyable for me.
1: Well, it's funny you bring that up, Brad, because, you know, 34 years old and hunting most of my life, it's those experiences that you remember. You don't remember the big rooster the big deer. You may have that trophy, and, yeah, you may remember those moments. But when you're talking to your friends, doing stuff like this, you know, it's the misses. It's – right. It's all sorts of the silly things on the road trips that happen. The flat tires are, you know, in that moment, you're just like, this is miserable. And then you look back and you can laugh on it. This weekend at Pheasant Fest, um, I was talking to a a high school gentleman. And basically, uh, he was talking about how frustrating it can be when you're starting out. Because you're just missing all the time. And you just, you want so bad to connect and hit a bird. And I'm like, just keep you know, young, super young hunter. I'm like, just keep at it because it's going to, you're going to get to a point where you're going to kill all the, you know, whatever you have wanted to. And it's, it's not going to be about killing that bird anymore. It's going to transition at some point into your memories, the people you're with, you know, the time you should have killed that bird and it was five feet in front of you and the dog did everything perfectly. And you just, you just missed for whatever reason. Um, so I know sometimes, especially for that younger crowd, it can be a lot of frustration in regards. to, You know, I, well, I just want to connect. I want to connect, but you know, just hang on to those memories and just remember. Try to, as miserable as it can be in that moment, try to remember being in that field because you're going to get older. You're going to be more comfortable with your gun and to look back and be like, oh my gosh, I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, and now you know. <laughs> right. A lot of these, a lot of these kids have access to skeet programs and stuff in their high school that I never did. So. A lot of them are turning into very, very great shooters. A lot of women as well. A lot of the um, skeet people that I run into, it seems like it's almost, I would say, 60-40, 60% women, 40% men around us. Now, I don't know. Sure. But it just seems like that's something a lot of younger women have been getting into, that skeet and competition side. Which um, That's
0: great. I I think that's great
1: great because, one, just get male or female, get them introduced to a gun at a young level, get them comfortable, get them around different kinds of guns. But then you get them a little older and you get them out into a hunting scenario. You get a dog in front of them. They've already got the hard part over of being around a gun and comfortable with a gun. Now you throw a dog in the mix and like, oh my gosh, this is super fun, especially the ladies. Right. I mean, right. you put a puppy in front of most women and they, they're <laughs> automatically attracted to it, babies and everything else. So um, I think ski is an awesome transition for a lot of this younger generation to get into upland hunting. Um, and I know a lot of your people are fishing and stuff like that, but it's just, we all need each other and uh, we're all only getting older. And I think that the uplands are kind of, I don't want to say they're dying, but it's something that everything's cyclical. So I think right now we're seeing a lot of the older generation kind of phase out and get older. And I think there's just uh, a lot of us that uh, it falls on our shoulders to kind of educate the younger youth and try to get them involved and keep things moving in the right direction and conservation and all that kind of stuff. So.
0: I agree 100%. Mentorship is something I focus on every year, taking out hunters that never have been hunting before. So, and that's, and I don't focus just on youth either. So I do a lot with veteran programs. Yeah. Don't Um, forget about the old guys. (laughs) But I have found also like that after there's like this, there's this period after college, I've found that a lot of people want to learn how to hunt some, some for their
2: own food, some just for the experience. To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
4: to get 50% off
0: and I have found a handful of those that I have mentored have continued on. Whereas like I'm all for mentoring the youth. I think it's great, but I feel like I almost have better retention in the mentoring I've done on that 24 to 30 year old group than I have on 12 to 15 year olds. Cause when they hit high school, they hit girls, they, or boys, they, and then yep. they hit college. Yep. And if they don't have the family, to keep them into it which if i'm mentoring them odds are they don't come from a hunting family yep i feel like they kind of lose it and it's going to be on them to come back and reach out Where is if like that after college age and maybe some of these kids had been on mentor hunts. So that's a question i haven't always asked but maybe some had at one point so they're coming back but i feel like there's just slightly better retention in that older age group so i don't want like I always like to talk about that. Cause I feel like everybody's got this huge focus on like the kids, which I love. I love taking kids out, but in regards to like continuing on our traditions, continue like the conservation aspect, I feel like that slightly older age group, like that 25 to 30, 30, like those are the ones where if we get them excited, they're going to stay in it.
1: Yep. A hundred percent. And I do agree with that, Brad, uh, like you said, and I was guilty of it myself You get into college and the end of high school and sports and all that stuff. And also, uh, at that age, I just know personally, myself, I, I didn't have time for a dog and I didn't right. have money for a dog. Um, whether it was a cheap dog or expensive dog doesn't matter, but I just didn't have the time and energy to do the training dog food. Didn't have the space, you know, a lot of times sure. people are living in apartments or still at home or things like that. Um, so I think that, that makes sense on what you're saying. And I can see that, uh, and I think getting into that probably 25 to almost 35 about where I'm at is kind of those, those peak areas where if you're good, if you got your toes in it while you were younger and then you have still some passion in there and you can get linked up with someone else kind of locally or through a training group, um, those are the that's the perfect age range to kind of get those guys involved not only they can help the younger generation but you know they're old enough where they can kind of afford some road trips some dogs things like that and can also get right. out and you know help some of those other guys because you know like my dad there's a lot of these guys out there in their 60s or whatever and they're like hey i went out and took you hunting but now you're all older and have money and run around like don't forget about me sitting at home Right. Um, Right. So, you know, at the same time, like you said, yeah, you definitely want to educate the young kids But the older, the older people are, they, they definitely have their own niche as well. And they need to um, have resources and people to be able to reach out to, to get them back into the the sport if they'd like to.
0: And that's, and that's another thing, which you just touched on too, is the older generation, the generation, especially ones that might not have children or maybe their children don't hunt, but they enjoyed hunting throughout their years. But they're too. They don't want to start another dog. They
1: don't. Yeah, but yeah, they I, had the dog. The kids are grown up. Right. And now. The kids didn't take interest. The dogs died, and now they're like, "Well, I can't go hunt because I don't got a dog and I don't know anybody." Well, right.
0: Like that's something to focus. That's something to remember as well. I mean, also the like the experience of taking someone like that, just for the fact, like the stories they have years and years of stories, and as you're walking the fields or walking the trails. Like those stories are just going to come back and they're going to just randomly roll out. And the it, it's going to be such a unique experience just to hear their experiences from a time where you weren't even hunting. Like just the, how the landscape was and the animals and like the different dog training. Like look how far dog trainings come even just
1: in like yep. the past 15 years. And even stuff as simple as, like, gear. I mean, back then, if you had an electronic e-collar, there was one button, and it was it was hot, and it was shocked that dog. And if that right. dog didn't come, you you light it up. And, you know, now the, there's so much that you can control in the, you know, the electronics of the dog to the technical clothing people are buying and all, all sorts of things. So, yeah, it's, it. that's another piece of it, Brad, that you just, you get by taking those older people out and hearing about the guns they hunted with and stuff like that that, you know, right. may not be around anymore, but... Yeah. And then you come away with even more memories. Mm-hmm.
0: And just, just this all around amazing experience that you want to do again and again. Right. Cause it's just, yep, it, it hits different. I don't, and I know there's probably new hunters listening to this that are like, cause I was this new hunter at one point in time, all I cared about was limits and you kind of yep. touched on that. Yep. But then as limits, it. I mean, and I've, and I've said this before, I mean, it's your view kind of changes and you kind of shift from, I need a limit to now it's about the dog. Like I had that shift at one point. I, I love my dog. I always have, but I mean, I had that, that change for sure. And then it's um. now I love the dog work, but now I want to enjoy this entire experience.
1: And share it with others. A lot of times exactly. as you get older, that's kind of, you end in that phase of that mentorship. I'm definitely over the limit phase and then the phase of like enjoying the dog, which is kind of why I started to go to the 99 County thing. But, um, you know, eventually that'll transition. I know to, you know, I've hunted, I've been to where I've needed to be. Let's get involved here more locally with the community and get kids out and things like that. And I do mentor hunts now, um, through local sure. game fences forever group. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just interesting how a lot of us kind of, you follow that same, that same trend and road.
0: So, Before we get like dive deep into dogs that you grew up with and everything else. Yes. I I know that could take out. I know I could fill a whole (laughs) episode with just dogs alone. I don't want to lose this 99 counties things. Like where did the idea come from?
1: So um, basically there, you see a lot of people that go out West and they do like a West challenge or, you know, the Nebraska slam or things like that. And, And, at the end of the 2019 season, which technically ended in January of 2020, but the bulk sure. of ended in 2019. You know, I was like, it kind of was to a point where I knew where I could go get birds. And, uh, it was, it was fun. It was a blast. But I was like, what is something else I can challenge my dog to get out there and uh, just do something different, challenge her, challenge myself, uh, as far as different habitat, going to places and counties we've never seen. And so I was like, well, wonder if anybody's ever tried to get a pheasant in every county in Iowa. I don't know if there's a pheasant in every county of Iowa. I've talked to the Iowa DNR about it. They're like, you know, there is, but (laughs) might just be on private. But then, you know, this county, you know, you may find some on public in this, you know, hard. In our northeast corner of Iowa, it's a lot of hard timber and a lot of rocky terrain. They used to do logging up there. They still do grouse counts. I don't this is nothing against Iowa DNR. I'm not really sure why, because we don't even have like a measurable um, pool of grouse. I mean, sure. There might be 10 up there. So it's like, you can go count them, but until we start getting that habitat turnover that you're probably familiar with and those 10 year spruces and all that stuff, um, you're just not going to retain any of that. So. It's
0: actually really surprising. I mean, because the Northeast corner of Iowa is pretty far, is way farther South than what I would consider grouse habitat in the Midwest.
1: Well, in, in like the seventies, it was just like phenomenal because they would do a lot of logging up there, so you would get Got those it. turnovers. And then I also think that you would get it a lot coming down from Minnesota migrations, things like that. Sure. With the terrain up there is very. Um, I'm not. I'm not a grouse expert by any means, but from what I've been told, it's what they like: the hardwoods, the okay, steep terrain, things like that. I don't know that. Um, waterways. I don't know. I'm learning. I would love to get a grouse in Iowa. I think it's going to be one of those like nearly impossible things. I got one in Wisconsin last year. I was fortunate nice. to get a red phase. Um, this is first nice. time I ever went grouse hunting in woodcock hunting, so got
0: four woodcock and a grouse. Um, you have? To, do you have woodcock that migrate migrate through Iowa? I know we're getting off topic, which happens. No, you're.
1: Yeah, that's part of it. That's just the conversation, right? We do. And, uh, I just learned about woodcock and grouse hunting in October. So I am going to do some more research here in Iowa that we have some sand prairies and evidently they like sand prairies and that kind of habitat. Um, so evidently they move through, but it's one of those things like we have them for a 48 hour window.
0: So they move through real quick cause we have a real decent... quick and you
1: got to know what section they're coming through. So it's one of those
0: things where you either catch them or you don't. Sure. Cause we have a good. I normally have a good season with them. It's normally, it's not 48 hours, but I mean, our season's open for months, but normally it's the last week or two weeks where it's actually worth really going out, at least in Southern Wisconsin, where I am yeah. in Northern Wisconsin. You, I mean, the season obviously is a little different up there and they also hold a little more longer up there. I have found, cause I'll, I'll find them throughout all the month of October, some years, depending on how the weather, or I should say like the beginning of october it depends on the weather like it can yeah be the whole month of october up there really um but that is one of my favorite little birds to chase hands down i love them
1: it's it's my favorite right now i mean i love the pheasant obviously that's king for me but right. when i went woodcock hunting last year i was like yeah i want to do this every year the <laughs> flight pattern they're like fast but slow all of the ones i shot they were in front of us. The dogs kind of went on point, but then when they flushed, they all—all all the one, all four that I shot—they flushed and they flew back at me. So that's, I found that—that's
0: that, that's pretty. That's that
1: happens quite often. Like I've That's kind of what much. I told is that's pretty common, and that's what I loved about it is because they're coming at you, and it—it's almost like they don't see you, but sometimes maybe they see you. I'm not sure what they're thinking, but they're kind of like, to do, you know, dodging the trees and this and that. So they're they, the flight pattern's crazy, but yet they're not as fast as a quail. And then they're sure. so small that, you know, seven and a half, you get one or two pellets in them and they're going to go down. So they're not, I wouldn't say it's an extremely difficult bird to hit per se, because i used an open choke as open as I could get and a seven and a half shot and you just kind of spray it out there. And you, your your odds are pretty good from my from the little bit I did it. But yeah, you want to talk about fun. Those are I a mean, blast.
0: Especially with how tight they hold. I mean, they just hold, they hold so they hold. tight.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've got pictures with like my foot almost stepping on one and the dog right there, like, are you ever gonna fly? I mean, a buddy of mine, we have a great story from a buddy of mine. His dog, he has a deaf setter, hundred percent deaf. So it's very hard to call her off a point because sure. you don't want it to be a negative experience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he he had a woodcock and she had it pinned and this thing was underneath this thick brush. And he's sitting there trying to throw sticks inside there. Like you like could not <laughs> get in it. So he's sitting there trying to throw sticks through this brush to get this bird to fly. And finally he had to like crawl through it.
1: I've heard stories of those woodcock doing that. Yeah, they'll just, if they get in a thick bush and they feel safe, they'll just sit there. <laughs> yeah. But to just kind of put a bow back on the county thing, uh, yeah. I just, I knew that uh, financially, I just, I'm not one of those people that has money to go to Out West every year or things like, you know, don't. Don't know a lot about it, so I mean, I know you can all learn about it and study, but I was like, I I just wanted to set myself up for something I could do here locally, and then that's, so in 2020, I started it, and now after two full seasons, I'm at 19 of 99 counties. I did nine my first year. I did 10 last season. My goal is 10 every year, so of course, if you add that up, it'd be about a 10-year challenge. Um, Sure, so uh, it's something that I'm trying very, very hard to accomplish with this Griffin that I got. Right. Um, it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be tight with it's age, be, with her just yeah. turning four. But I'm like, you know, um, if, I can, if I can do it somehow in the next six years, and it's slowly kind of getting a little bit of steam itself in regards to some local people kind of reaching out saying, hey, we'd love to hunt with you when you get to my county, please reach out. We'd love to sure. at least send you in the right direction and things like that. I've been a little little leery on taking people up on that. I hunted with a few people last year. It's a it's a fine or a fine edge for me in regards to I want to meet everybody. Like I want to meet all of them. Right. But at the same time, there's a little piece of this where it's like finding the ground, scouting it, and getting that bird accomplished by myself and my dog is like part of the goal. Sure. And so I think every, so how I'm kind of trying to balance where if 10 is my goal year, maybe I do half try to do half of those by myself and half of them with um, meeting up with kind of some other people. Actually last year, all the people I met up with essentially, except for um, a couple guys were all out of state. So Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. (laughs) So I don't, I don't know how that turned out, but that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's cool that people are recognizing this challenge from like a completely different state and they're coming to Iowa and they're like, Hey, let's go hunt. I mean, that's, it's just cool how small the upland community really is in some ways.
1: So hundred percent agree with that, Brad. When I started this two years ago, um, I didn't even start it. I was talking to a gentleman at Pheasant Fest um, and he told me, he's like, well, you're going to document this journey, right? And I said, yeah, I'm going to take a picture of me and my dog and the bird in every parking lot. And then at the end, I'm going to have 99 pictures and be like, here, I've done it. And he's like, no you need to put this online. People are going to like pick up on this. They're going to be intrigued by this. Like you need to document this for people. So I said, fine. Like I'm not, and I don't, I still have a full time job. I don't do this for a living right, by any right. means. And so I just said, okay, I'll start on Instagram and just post my pictures and my stories on there. And if you're interested, great. You can follow along. If not, no problem. And it's just slowly kind of turned into, um, you know, getting able to do podcasts and talk about hunting in Iowa and habitat and things like that. So, it's slowly kind of taken on a beast in its own of, um, you know, becoming a small platform where I can talk and promote the habitat about Iowa. Something I'm super passionate about being a lifelong Iowan and hunting here. And I think sure. there's a lot of stuff online, like South Dakota, South Dakota, everybody get out to South Dakota, like many States, Wisconsin, Minnesota too. There's, there's all that publicity numbers are down and this and that. And <laughs> if you put the time and energy in, uh, you know, I've seen with boots on the ground firsthand, you know, I've been in fields with 250, 300 birds flushing. Now They may be 200 yards ahead of us, but, um, I mean there, we have fields in Iowa like that and that's the kind of stuff I think guys are picturing when they go to South Dakota and you can definitely get into sections and counties of Iowa where there's that kind of habitat and birds, which is, which is great. Now, we don't want to get the secret out there too much, right, but, right. um, you know, right, we're not just—we're right. naming, naming counties. We're not right, naming right, counties. Right. We're not, we're not saying, Oh, go stay at uncle Ma's lodge. No. <laughs> and Iowa DNR does a roadside count every year. And so they, yeah. they have their maps where they highlight, you know, gray, dark black. So, I mean, you can get online and they have a whole 20 some plus page report and a map, um, that they release every August, late August, early September, So, I mean, if you're an out-of-state guy coming in, there's plenty of information that's released right before the season in regards to, you know, a target area of maybe four or five counties and heading in that direction.
0: Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's nice when they – it's nice when the DNR gives you enough information to at least make you dangerous, right? Make it worth the drive. Um, I'm not personally a big pheasant hunter. Um, I prefer to chase grouse and woodcock, but – You have you have my interest peaks though because I'm not a big pheasant hunter because I've never really chased wild pheasants. Yeah, Wisconsin doesn't have a ton of wild pheasants. Yep, but now you have my interest peaks because Iowa isn't that
1: far away to go chase pheasant. I'm not at all. And there's a lot of guys I know in Minnesota and Wisconsin. They'll get uh, the Iowa license that live kind of in those southern county tiers, and they just kind of hop back and forth over the border throughout the season. And I think Minnesota actually starts like a week before us. So some guys will go up there to knock the rust off their dogs that first week, and then they come down to Iowa and shoot all my birds. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> go back to Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. no, I mean the Iowa guys. The Iowa guys oh, go up there oh, got it. A week before Iowa to knock the rust off their dogs. Then they come back home to Iowa, and they're all tuned up where I go sure. out opening weekend, and now I'm just knocking the rust off.
0: What (laughs) what are your laws like in Iowa for running public land before the
1: season starts? So we cannot run dogs on public land until after July 15th in the state of Iowa. That allows for the nesting season uh, to take place. At least a first initial nest is kind of how they look at that. So right now, no public dogs out there on ground.
0: Right. I mean, what is Wisconsin's different. Wisconsin is tax day through August 1st, if I remember correctly. Okay.
1: now we have training we have training areas like we have county parks and stuff that have big like 200 acres of crp and it and they it says dog training facility can you know can be used within that um window of i think it's january 10th when the season closes until july 15th basically
0: got it so you really can't run you so you can't legally run your dog in spring on wild birds then
1: nope so uh personally i have joined navda illowa it's the Western side of Illinois and the eastern side of Iowa. It's the Illinois NavdA group. Okay. I'm um, gonna do some training through the, with those guys, and that's all on private ground of just members sure. of the group that donate their ground. And then I'm also a member of a hunting club, which it kind of extends me till the end of March. But um, from March until July, it's kind of NavdA or utilizing just some of the the um, dog training grounds that that are here locally at a park.
0: And that's real similar. I mean, that's similar. Um we can't run dogs. Like I said, it's, I'm pretty sure it's April. It's either April 1st or April 15th through August. Well, that just makes sense. Right. Right. It's for the nesting birds and everything else, but we do have this unique opportunity where you can't, if you, if you want to, and I know guys that do, and I've done it before as well when I had younger dogs and wanted more experience. I mean, I would run my dog on that Northern Woodcock migration. I mean, you can't shoot. Oh, but coming take, back. Coming back. Yeah. Yeah. So didn't I didn't even say, think like, about that. Like right now is when I'd probably start to be getting out there because everything start and it's not quite thought enough yet, but soon, real you got soon. A week or so, I'm, yeah. But I mean, run your dog. I mean, it's great wild bird experience. And rather than a shotgun, I just bring a decent camera with.
1: Yeah, in this last week, I've really been seeing the geese moving through here. So that that makes sense that things are coming back up. I wish they'd hang around Iowa a little longer. I mean, at least like four to five days. So, sure. you can try to slip, you know, kind of, oh, rumor is they're here. And you can try to slip over there for maybe a half day, just pop a couple. But uh, they're su- they're super interesting birds. I mean, then when I got my hands on my first one, I shot the big eyes and obviously the beak. And right. I got home and was like doing all sorts of research on wood because I went up there to grouse hunt. And Woodcock was the boat. Sure. And I sure. came home and I'm like, member of the Grouse Woodcock Society now. I'm like watching all <laughs> these YouTube videos. I'm like, I'm grouse hunting every year. Like, this is awesome. Now, I wasn't. I was very fortunate that I uh, had a friend that took me that has gone to Wisconsin for the last 16 years with him and his dad. So they know oh. the timber cuts, they know where to go, and they go up twice a year, and on their first hunt every year, they try to take somebody new that has never hunted, and I was fortunately that person to go. Now, real quick, just to not get down a rabbit hole, but nope, nope, you're all about good. stories here, I got to say how I met this guy. All right, all right. I do home inspections for a living, Okay. and I was doing home inspections at a house, And I was upstairs at this house, and I could see out the window into the neighbor's yard, and it had a white vinyl privacy fence. he had three pigeon lofts out there. And I'm like, you only have pigeon lofts for two reasons. You either race pigeons or you train dogs. And it was in the midst of COVID just about a year and a half ago. And so the gentleman was working from home, so I went over and knocked. Probably super creepy, but I went and knocked on his door and said, hey, I got dogs. I saw your pigeon lofts. I was kind of snooping over the fence. Do you train dogs? And he's like, yeah. Turns out the guy's like a year older than me, um, live lives a couple blocks from me, which is another reason why I kind of wanted to get linked up with him. Right, like he lived right. close. And now we've come super close. He's like my training partner all summer long, because he didn't have anyone to train with. I didn't sure. have anyone to train with, but he has all these pigeons, and they like reproduce, and he's got the homers and the kills and all that.
4: Nice. Um,
1: and then it turned into, he was like, hey, do you want to go grouse hunting? Like, I try to take somebody new every year. And so he was able to get me on the woodcock and get that red phase, all by just... Going over and then you know taking five minutes right. off the job site and just be like, "Hey, I, hey, I want you... to now talk about your pigeons.
0: What what you got pigeons for there, boss? Yeah, <laughs> that's so that's awesome.
1: Kevin's his name. We've we've come super super close. I'm actually helping him move Saturday, so I I don't know if he's gonna have me tearing lofts down or what we're doing, but he's moving out to an acreage. So I'm super excited that he can kind of expand his training setup, and um, he's getting a puppy as well. So it'll be a be nice. a lot of good stuff in the off season for us.
0: Nice, nice. So. Is that a little self-serving that you're happy he's getting that acreage? So you have more training opportunity as well?
1: No, I'm just So <laughs> actually, I probably, um, it's interesting. He actually used to live next to like an elementary school that had a ton of grass. So we'd oh. take our, we would take our bird launchers over there and like train, hide them like around. They had like decorative grass and things like that. So we'd hide the launchers around that. And that was actually super interesting. So I don't know what he's going to do. He did tell me he's going to have to do all new, like recreate all new homers. Because obviously sure. his birds are, you know, he used to go into the old place. So um, he'll kind of just have a breeding stock now. And then he'll have to kind of re- retrain some birds as well. So it'll be interesting.
0: That'll be fun. I mean,
1: if you're involved, if you can be involved in that part, it'd be, it'd be really cool
0: to learn how to train a homer. I mean, it's So just- he
1: is going to help me, actually. I'm going to build a loft here at home. And then I'm going to buy um, some squeakers off him, they call them, And then he is going to show me how to do that. That way, I can go out and kind of do some training. We have a local nature center here, so okay. it's not its not really, you know, hunting ground. I, I think you can have your dog out there. No one's ever yelled at me, I guess. There's no pheasants or anything like that out there. Sure. kind of in town. But um, my goal was to try to be able to uh, get my homing pigeons to go from at least there and back to home so I can do, you know, maybe just like a little popper pistol-type training and steadiness-type work without having to sure. actually – need to be out on an acreage and do that kind of stuff so um i'm excited to learn and he's he's supposed to be getting me involved with that once i get my coop up here in the next month
0: no that'd be cool i mean it's just a different aspect and just something something a little
1: unique right not everybody knows how to train pigeons not only that but i've been just watching some youtube videos and stuff like that like homing pigeons and racing pigeons are there's hundreds of thousands of dollars involved in that world. I mean, Mike Tyson has homing pigeons. It's a huge deal in China. I mean, guys, big guys in China, like, they put millions into pigeons. We're talking lofts where, like, these birds are in their cages, and every, like, four hours there's a conveyor belt that, like, moves, and it cleans off their little loft area of the poop there's a holy video on there of mike tyson went over somewhere overseas it might have been around egypt it's like a half hour youtube video like tours this guy's facility um when he was getting into racing pigeons it's insane and uh i've always pictured them as these dirty birds you find under bridges and stuff in cities and if you get up and close to some of these animals and some of the homers they have some phenomenal colors and spotting and whites and you know black spots on them and They're actually some really interesting and very smart birds.
0: My father-in-law raised pigeons for years and years and years since my wife was uh, like five or six until just a few years ago. He raised pigeons almost his entire life. I don't know why. He just enjoyed it. He just enjoyed raising pigeons. It was his thing. Did he do the homing aspect
1: or did he just raise them and sell them? Raised them and sold them. Yeah. A lot of people eat them. Evidently, like when they're really young, that's the time to eat them. Um, I don't. I don't know time frame, but I think less than a year old, um, but large enough to have a little bit of meat on them. Um, But I have a buddy that says they're like they're served as like a fine dish in some you know high end restaurants.
0: So I've been in the dove field before, and we've had some pigeons come through which have met the same demise as (laughs) doves.
1: That'll happen
0: Maybe I'm not normal, but I would say most of those pigeons, I think, ate better than the doves.
1: Oh, so you so you uh, ate
0: them. That's great. You did. Um, but now who I was with brought a very good explanation for that, saying a lot of these pigeons eat nothing but corn and live in corn siles. They're just corn fed.
1: So I could see that being true. Like if you were to pick up a... You know, catch some urban pigeons. I could see where they probably aren't going to be the tastiest because they're probably roaming around and picking up whatever garbage off the street they can get. But, yeah, you get out into the wild where those guys are going into the barns every night. That's where I get my kill birds, actually. I have some Amish kids that go out and pick, catch them out of barns for me at okay. night and then uh, just pay them for that. I, I, I bet those, since they're going out because they're, they they're out in the cornfields every day or just eating right. right there next to the grain bin, I bet they right. probably wouldn't taste that bad. I'll be honest, yep. my my kill pigeons I use for training, I've just usually shot them and disposed of them. But um maybe I You don't even cook them for the dog? No, I haven't thought of that, to be honest, Brad. I've got so sometimes I, they I, get kind of mangly because I'm trying to, you sure was like no. six shot and you yeah, get it yeah, back get and you're it. like,
0: oh, okay. <laughs> so I mean, I was just make I made venison cheesesteaks the other night. Ooh. And I took all like the trimmings and every like all the silver skin pieces and stuff I cut off with fat and whatnot. I cooked all those up afterwards, and right now they're in a little Pyrex dish in the fridge, and I give those to my dog. Like oh. all that little stuff, like I use as like just unseasoned protein. Like I don't season yeah. it; I just yeah. cook it, and then I use it. Like I add it to her food, and same with like pigeon. I've even done it with woodcock. Like if I go out woodcock hunting for the weekend and I get one bird, yeah, I'll just cook that up. I'll tear the breast in some pieces and I'll throw it on her food, like for a couple nights.
1: Like, We've done that with pheasant. Just you get one one day, and it's like all right, fry right. it up for the dog quick, yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I just, I guess going back to what I was saying. Yeah. You just have this perception of it's a pigeon, but I need to try it. Worst case scenario. It doesn't taste that good. And I feed the dog. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And with most game birds, I know it's, it's all about prep. Most of it's 90% preparation. Agreed. And 5% cooking it. Right. And then the other five, you just hope you like it. Right. (laughs) Right. 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 But yeah. Um,
0: might as well give it a shot. I mean, what do you, you got? No, I mean, I've had it before, and
1: got nothing to lose. I'm paying for the meat, anyways.
0: Right, right. As long as you don't decimate it with some five shot at yeah. like ten yards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen too often. Just occasionally. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just pretenderized. That's how I look at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
1: I like it. <laughs>
0: so, because I I gotta know, um, what got you into the grift? Like Griffon's what, like, I'm assuming you, you started hunting with your dad, your brother. So I'm assuming you grew up with a hunting dog.
1: So we grew up and we had a Brittany. Okay. Uh, I don't remember it that well. I, I remember having it at the house. I remember it always being around, but I don't remember like seeing it in the field much. Um, it was just very mean and it was an outdoor dog. So that's why I don't have a lot of memories with it. I mean, it like latched onto another dog and my dad could not get it off of it. And he had to put like a nine iron club in its mouth and like twist it sideways to get the dog to release. So we eventually got rid of her. So I sh- I need to ask my dad how much we really hunted with her. But I was like five when we had her. Okay. And then we got um, a German short hair pointer as I got a little older and had hunted with pointers before we had her just with other friends and stuff. So it was around the GSPs for quite a while. After my dad's GSP passed away, um, he was looking for something that was a little more hyperallergenic, didn't shed that much. And he got turned on to the Griffons. And uh, his dog is five minus four. So he got his a year before mine, hunted and helped him train his for the first year. And really just liked the temperament of his dog and um, the versatility as far as, you know, at that time before I. That was before my ninety nine counties. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna do a little get into like waterfowl and sure. um, goose and stuff like that. And this dog would be great for that. And then maybe some nav competitions, things of that nature. Um, so just the versatility aspect um, was another piece. So got uh, got my Griff a year after my dad, and uh, we've just been super super happy with them. Um, I'm I'm really itching right now for a Llewellyn setter. I know that's throw a, throw a side side uh piece into the mix but uh, because people have been out they're like well you think you're gonna get another griffin i'm like you know i would love another griffin but i was talking to someone recently that's like why would you hunt with the same dog your whole life like each dog has you know its pros and cons you're young get something else and then as you get older you know if you've okay i've had these four or five different breeds you know i'm gonna go back to a griff um you know make that decision or whatever because the griffins they hunt at least mine and my dad's they hunt slower and more methodical And they don't get out, they don't get out there and run like those GSPs. So sometimes doing this 99 County thing, I do get into some bigger pieces and it's like, all right, Sophie, I need you to like, get out there a little more and cover a little more ground for us because they're just going to run circles on us if we don't. And so, um, I hunted with a Gordon setter and and multiple Llewellyn setters this last season and, um, having one of those dogs be able to range out a little further, not as crazy and as far as the GSP, but. You know that 75 yard range she can hang sure. back at that 30 to 40 yard range and it just created a an awesome duo in the field
0: i know a lot of people that hunt with multiple breeds and styles for that exact reason um i had a guy from wisconsin on the show he's running a griff and a gsp and loves that combo oh that um, would be good luck birds right um there's a guy i talked to <laughs> out um oh, i can't nick nick Oh man, I think it's Nick. I'm sorry, Nick, if that's her name. I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. I'm on the spot. Um, he's out in Cali. He um he runs um Britney's and Spaniels, like um Britney's and then fl- and then um sp- oh, Springers, Springers, yeah. Britney's and Springers or GSPs and Springers, or even um English pointers and springers, and loves the duo of a pointing and flushing dog combo.
1: Yeah, there's some guys that are starting to get into that a little bit. I hunted with a couple of flushing dogs this year. We never were to a point where like the pointing dog went on point. The flushing one came in and got it. Um, not so being he, a trainer, it would be something that I would definitely like advise people. Do your research before you try to bring the two together. <laughs> so he
0: trains his to sit
1: on a point. That's I have seen one other dog do that. And I think that that's pretty smart, especially so, if you're hunting with a pointing dog as well.
0: Right. And I get, he says it actually comes pretty natural. And there's some other things I talked to him about. Um, I talked to him like, what about steady? Like that's got to throw steady for a world. And he goes, not, he's like, it doesn't, it really doesn't. He's like, you'd be shocked. He's like, come out to California. We'll go on some quail. I'm like, Ooh, I like quail. Never done it before. But um, yeah, I mean, so I like hearing like, you're like looking at, I mean, I love my Griff. There's a chance I might always own a Griff, but I might own another breed with my Griff. not Currently, because my griff is a rescue that hits other dogs, which is a completely different story. (laughs) Um, So it's not fair to her at 10 years old to bring a puppy in, knowing she's going to be completely stressed out, full on anxiety mode constantly. Like she's, uh, we've given her a home. She's got her forever home. She's doing so much better now. I'm not going to throw that on her to let her last couple of years be miserable. That's not fair to her. But to go, to roll back quick to what you were saying, about like you wish your griff would would range a little farther. I, I had a person on the podcast that made her awesome. Like he's like, you can't push a rope. He's like, you could always bring a dog back in. 100%. But you can't push a rope. Yep. And I never thought of it. I've always thought of it, but I've never thought of it like, talk, like spoken like that. And it's so true. I mean, griffs are – I mean, they're a great dog. They seem to, to have a tendency from the ones I've hunted with and the owners I've talked to. They tend to range closer than like the English pointers or the setters, which yep. is great. That's their natural instinct. And I know there's exemptions to every room and, rule, and I and I know there's Griff owners out there that have dogs that range, and they range like anything else. Oh and yeah, they have yeah. that drive. I mean, yep. but it seems consistently. Um, and people joke; they call it an old man's dog.
1: I don't know, if you have you heard someone call the Griff an old man dog yet? I have not heard that, but I tell people all the time, and and so I guess in a roundabout way, I call them the old man dog because I tell people all the time, as I say, as you get older, that would be a great breed to look into as you slow down. But I think what a lot of people don't understand with the Griff, and I think you'd agree with this, Brad, is out of any dog I've been around, a hunting dog, house pet, these dogs are the most... um, how do i want to word it they they almost overthink everything they watch you they know what you do they know your and i know all of your dogs know your routines and stuff like that but they they they're almost human like is how i describe it um and and they know how to manipulate you and i think um you know it's one of those things where you just got to walk a fine line of you know pushing your dog but at the same time not letting them manipulate you if that makes any sense
0: no, nope, it does. We I've had that conversation with other griff owners as well and I'm sure someone out there hates when I make this reference because I don't remember who said it so I can't properly quote it but they said you have to have a um
1: firm hand and a white glove with a griff. That 100 percent. And I guess I kind of lost my train of thought mid sentence with that but it was just going back to the the training piece of it is, you know, they are slower in the field but I in it and obviously that's a tendency of the breed but I think it's cuz they're out there just analyzing everything from oh this just sent and you know what they're seeing and what they're hearing, um they're ju- they're just very very in tune with their environment where I think you get a lot of those other dogs they're just out there going balls to the wall and then they know what they're doing but then all of a sudden it's like oh sent bam point you know right fifty yards away and it's like okay yeah my dog did his job let's go and it's like yeah <laughs> it, it did but at the same time it was just covering miles of ground zigzagging kind of right. came upon its its thing so yeah definitely definitely they think about about everything from the training to the hunt very methodical
0: they're great they're they really are great breed. i mean they hunt i love the fact that they hunt close for grouse hunting because i like i like a close working dog for grouse hunting she has such an amazing off switch at home granted we give her plenty of exercise but she can turn it on in the field and then she can really turn it off when she comes inside i mean yeah i really i really do love the breed and I I really see a grift being in my life, but I do, I do agree though. Like I'm just turning 40. I mean, I want to also experience other breeds because unless you're going to have five or six dogs in your house,
1: you're limited by the amount of years you're going to live on how many breeds you can experience. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's funny. The, the gentleman that told me like, you you need to try some other breeds. They have, they have five breeds. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm like, I get it. I'm like, I can never get on that level. But I can see when you have that many together, I can definitely see how you can be like, you You look at it as a, as a toolbox. And I hunted with this gentleman in Kansas and South Dakota and Iowa this year. And it we'd pull up to a field and he'd be like, what Swiss Army knife do we need? You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. And we'd be like, all right, let's put Sophie out. Let's put your Llewellyn out. Or let's just do your Gordon Setter in your lab if we're busting through some cattail type stuff and so it was kind of nice to just be able to put the pieces together that's cool that's cool um it i that is the one thing i lack and it's not
0: it's no one's fault it's just cuz i rescued my dog i don't have enough dog power right now um she's 10 we keep her in good shape i run her still but for a week long grouse camp she doesn't have, she can't hunt every single day twice a day at a week long grouse camp she needs days off yep. so that is where Like the two dog household, or a three dog, or even a four dog. Don't tell my wife because she doesn't listen to this. You sound like me, Brad. (laughs) But I mean, to look at trips like that, where it's like, I need more dog power.
1: I do a ton of three, four, five day trips throughout the season, Um, especially doing my county thing. Like if I'm going to drive four hours, I try to be over there a couple days and knock out a few counties in the area if I can. I always. um, Sure. But, you know, that's the biggest thing is, you know, after four solid days, um, you know, that fifth day or so, Sophie's, she's still out there, but you know, she used to range at 30, 40 yards. Now she's about 20, 25. And it's like, all right, all right, we need to move a little more. And like you said, you can't push a rope. You just can't, uh, It's the right. reality of it. So to, to be able to, when you get into those three, four day trips, change them out is, is key. When I was up grouse and woodcock hunting, the guys I was with had Britneys. And they were like, uh, they were super pumped to have me and my dad's Griff there because they're like, we've heard how close these dogs hunt. And just from everything we've heard, they just sound like they would be the perfect grouse and woodcock dog. And I'm like, well, they've never smelt either one. So let's see what happens. <laughs> and they did all right. But those Britneys that have been up there, you know, the last five, six seasons, I mean, they, they, of course, ran the show. They knew what they were doing and what what sense they were looking for. So it was definitely a learning curve for the Griffs. But I'm hoping the to girls. get back next October. He already asked me. So we'll see if we can kind of build on two days of hunting last year
0: grouse is a heck of a teacher for a dog it really especially is. when you're
1: only hunting you know like him he's only hunting two weekends out of the year he usually does like columbus day and then we'll go back three weeks later and that's about it and then sure. once iowa pheasant opens it's just full-blown pheasant here in iowa yeah there's
0: grouse are a humbling bird for man and dog i truly do believe that and if you have an amazing grouse dog it's just because of the amount of hours you spent chasing wild grouse
1: that's my understanding from the research and videos and stuff that I've watched is it's it's just all about contacts and miles.
0: I mean, they're such a unique bird. I mean
1: and they smart bird.
0: They're they're very smart. They don't take pressure well. They'll run, they'll fly when pressured. I mean, it's just it takes a very educated dog to be able to handle them properly. And I'll be honest, my griff messes up over half of them. She does still. I mean, <laughs> it's fine. It is what it is. I mean,
1: well, they're just so they just get behind trees and stuff. I mean, they know you're coming. They'll get behind a big aspen or what, whatever the pines are that are up in Wisconsin. And then they flush, and you hear them when they take off. I mean, it's a very distinct sound. Which the yeah. guys are like, you'll know when they take off. And I heard my first one. I was like, oh, yep. I mean, way different sound than a woodcock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how. That's. I heard the bust of the one that got up uh the gentleman i was with kevin just yelled gross flew over the whole group and i just looked up and luckily i was i was the one that happened to get on it if i wasn't going to get it my dad was next to me and he was about to pull the trigger i kind of felt bad with him being a little older i was like man it would have been really cool to see him get one obviously i'm younger i'll have more opportunities um right but he was still tickled pink to just see someone in the group get one and to see the woodcock and stuff like that it was still a good experience for him that's awesome it's and great sometimes it's right. luck of the draw where you're at in the line i mean you can try to you know, hey, I shot one, I'll go over here. And you, you know, you think that's the good side and your side ends up being where all the birds are or vice versa, the, you know. The fact you had a grouse flush in a manner that it gave multiple people a
0: shot opportunity blows my mind.
1: Yeah, and that's what I was, that's what he said is he's like, they never come across the line like
3: that. And it was
1: Kevin, his dad, and I think they kind of were waiting for it to get down to us to give us the chance. Yeah. Now, my that... my friend Kevin later that day, he got a grouse and a woodcock on the same flush and evidently, that's a big deal, and called something. And he took a picture of it and sent it into grouse. What's the little grouse? The Grouse Journal. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. I'm a member of it. They send it out. The grouse grouse Society. The Grouse. Oh, they send. Uh, I think like every quarterly, they send out like a typed up. It's it's very old school. They send up a typed up newsletter with black and white pictures in it. Sure. Um, and I think some guy just does it out of his house, literally. And so uh, yeah, he got. Do you know what that's called? I'm not sure, Brad.
0: I don't. I've never heard of this before. And that's funny because, like, I'm a member of the Grouse Society. I'm a, I am just had to look because we talked about this when you said you ran out and became a Woodcock. Like, Oh, um, yeah, yeah, your poster. Well, no. I have the charter member patch from becoming – here, I'll grab it.
1: I was, I was looking up at the big circle over your shoulder. Okay. Charter kind of member. Patch. That
0: was that was from the year they created the American Woodstock Society. I joined That's the awesome. inaugural year. I still have the patch. I was. I've always thought about putting on a vest. I'm like, I change gear too often because I'm a gear snob. And It's not that I'm a gear snob. I just like new gear. Like I like trying new things. I like trying new features. We're two peas
1: in a pod. Don't get us <laughs> together. Our walls will be we
0: broke. We'll have too many dogs. We won't have our wives. Like. <laughs> So you get it. You get it. So I'm like, I don't want to put on my vest because I'll probably change vests five times yeah. in the next seven years. Well, and I'm me. kind of
1: sentimental with my stuff. So like, to me, I, like yourself, you know, you kind of hang on to that memento and you're like, man, this is like from the original, like, yeah, I could put it on a vest and take it off, but then it may get beat up and you just, so you just end up sitting on the side and yeah, it doesn't really ever go anywhere or isn't really shown per se, except for here and there, but right, it's it just yeah just to have it and know that it's there that's that's like me i just i wouldn't use it either so it's funny too because when i got
0: that was the year pheasant fest was actually in wisconsin so not only did i sign up for that that was the first year i ever actually got to have any interaction with a griff in person because the griff on club was there so i mean just funny like just thinking about this patch brought back all those memories how far are
1: you from minneapolis
0: five hours i think four and a half five
1: okay the pheasant fest is going to be there next year february 17th through 19th ish don't quote me on that but sure um right right in the middle of february next year so uh if that's something you're you're ever interested in getting back over to i mean i'll be there and i know there's a lot of other people in the upland community and probably a lot of people you've talked to even in the fishing world and um, just digital hunting world. Um, it's just a great, as, as you've been before and know, it's a great place of like-minded individuals. And if that's relatively close to you, get over there, Brad, because if I, you don't connect in to. the field before then, um, we can definitely connect there.
0: I think I'm going to have to, cause I went and that was however many years ago when the yeah. Woodcock society started this, that doesn't 2014,
1: I'm I, assuming. This so I was like going to guess like 13, 12 ish. So 14, would sounds about right i wasn't I'm a, at that one but i remember I was, when they were in wisconsin i'm assuming
0: at this on this date code so um and that was well before i was on social media for anything hunting wise like i was oh, saying that i didn't use that event to like catch up with people i met on social i mean facebook was still
1: probably them. popular then now right that's kind of dead <laughs> and it seems like people are on instagram and
0: So, yeah, I mean, to be close enough, again, that I can go there without, like, making a a trip out of it. Because that's why I didn't go to this year. I'm like, I got to make a trip out of it. And that's kind of one less hunting trip I can do. And if I'm going to choose between going to a hunting festival or actually going out hunting, I'm going to choose hunting every single time. Smart man,
1: Brad. You're a smart man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Pheasant Fest. That's just the way it goes. Yep,
1: yep.
0: (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, it's been great talking to you. I want to give you the last couple minutes here so you can let everybody know how to find you, social media, website, anything like that you got going on.
1: Yeah, first and foremost, Brad, I just appreciate you having me on here. I, I uh, love the format, just real low-key, and just kind of, like you said, talking. It's It's been great. Hopefully, um, some listeners have taken been able to take a few nuggets away from some of the uh, hot air that we've blown out today. Um, but you can find me on Instagram. That's the main place I am. It's Iowa underscore bird chaser. But if you just type in Iowa bird chaser, it'll come up. Uh, I do have a Facebook page. I do not post a lot on my Facebook page, but it's just kind of one of those things that I created. So, you know, if you don't have Instagram and you still want to shoot me a message or connect in some way, you got to, you got to wait too. Um, so I do talk to some people through um, Instagram messenger or Facebook messenger, excuse me. But the bulk of it is all on Instagram. And then at the end of each season, uh, one thing I'm doing with the 99 counties is I'm also trying to film every county. So I'm trying to film every pheasant I get. So um, at the end of every season, on Sundays, usually at 7 p.m., as long as I have videos to crank out for as many birds I got in that season, usually hoping for 10 weeks. um, Every Sunday at 7 p.m., I release a YouTube video of a county that I shot uh, that last year. Some people have kind of asked, hey, why don't you... Uh, release those while you're hunting and things like that one it's just hectic during the season because being self-employed I try to bag a lot of my time off for the hunting season so I can go 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 but also we all go through that end of season withdrawal when everyone's states close up and I just kind of thought it'd be a nice fun way to kind of create given create some action and give people some action to watch beyond the season as we all sit at home with our dogs and put a little more weight around our waistlines um, as we get ready for summer and the snow to melt. So um, those come out at the end of the season. I'm currently in the middle of releasing those, so I'm not sure. I have another um, at least three to four weeks left. Um, So like I said, those come out on Sunday at 7 p.m. The longest they get is about 10 minutes. Um, The shortest they are is about five minutes or so. So just typically kind of shows you what the day looked like in the field. I 'm still kind of molding what I want what I want them long term to, to be it 's just a learning curve, so i 'm always open to feedback. so if anyone gets out and checks out any of the YouTube videos, feel free to leave comments of things you want to see questions you have, maybe you want to learn how I do scouting stuff like that, um, and I can tie different pieces of that into it. but um, just being one guy it's just kind of hard to record you know drone shots and the hunt itself and do research on the county that I 'm in, so trying to crank out as much as I can, but definitely uh, um, just kind of kind of seasonal with with the the hunting being seasonal, and then also work as well, so but get on there, check it out. Iowa Bird Chaser can be found on most of, most of all the social media platforms, and I love just interacting. so if anyone's thinking about coming to Iowa or has any questions, do not hesitate to reach out and uh, utilize us as a resource as well
0: that's awesome man. That's awesome. I didn't even know about the YouTube videos I'll definitely have to check that out for everyone. yeah, please Listen. do
1: That's kind of where my heart and passion is.
0: All right. All right. I didn't even know about that. I'll have to definitely check into that. And for everyone listening, um, I will have links in the description to all of his different pages so you can easily find it. Um, again, Nick, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been fun talking birds, talking griffs, talking this 99 County challenge, which is just awesome. I love the goal. I love, I just love the whole thing behind it.
1: Well, I appreciate it. And I just appreciate. it appreciate everyone that's taken time to reach out to me, take an interest in what I'm doing, um, and followed along. It's, it's definitely something I didn't think anybody would be interested in. And I just, I love getting to talk about the state of Iowa, upland hunting, getting to meet people like yourself, Brad, um, like-minded individuals. So it's, it's definitely super neat and something I hope I can continue to do for quite a while.
0: Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a great conversation to all the listeners as always. Thank you again for tuning in without you. I wouldn't do this. And until next time,
3: keep chasing that experience. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on paddle and fin. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in. on. Be sure to check us out on waypoint TV, WaypointTV.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube if you got a question, comment,